Thrusting space science into the audio dimension, this is Naked Astronomy. Hello, season's greetings and welcome to this special edition of Naked Astronomy with me, Mira Senthilingam. Whilst Dominic's out drinking port and eating mince pies, join me as I venture out to the rural realms of South Africa to explore how astronomy is putting the country firmly on the scientific map. Coming up, the workings of the largest optical telescope in the Southern Hemisphere, discovering supernovae and binary stars, how automated telescopes are scanning the skies for exoplanets and how a telescope can benefit a town as well as the field of astronomy. Supported by the STFC, this is Naked Astronomy. For more information, look us up online at nakedscientist.com forward slash astronomy. In this month's special focus on astronomy in South Africa, we venture out to a rather large piece of machinery. The Southern African Large Telescope, or SALT. Located near the rural town of Sutherland in the northern Cape province of South Africa, this is the largest optical telescope exploring the night skies of the southern hemisphere. Science director David Buckley introduces the telescope. Southern African Large Telescope, or SALT, it's the single largest optical telescope in the southern hemisphere. It's a 10-metre class telescope, which is one of five such telescopes currently operating in the world, but the only one of this type which is operating in the Southern Hemisphere. What is the purpose of such large telescopes, and, and what are the benefits to this being in the Southern Hemisphere? Well, the benefits of large telescopes is just large collecting area. So the bigger the collecting area of a telescope, the fainter the objects you can look at, the more distant objects you can look at. The advantage of it being in the southern hemisphere is, of course, coverage of the southern sky. There's a lot of interesting objects that are only visible in the south. For example, uh, the Magellanic Clouds, which are satellite galaxies to our own Milky Way, are southern objects. Uh, The centre of our own Milky Way is overhead in winter, so it's an excellent time to study the centre of our own galaxy. So the Southern Hemisphere is an important place to do astronomy and having a large telescope there obviously is a, is a good thing. And I guess what's the setup really? So what's its location um, and why this location and, and how is it put together? Okay, so uh, like all major observatories in the world, um, it's important to locate them at good observing sites and good observing sites are defined by places where it's dark so you have no light pollution from cities and so on and places where the the weather is good you've got lots of clear nights at sufficiently high uh, altitude that you're above a lot of the dust absorbing parts of the atmosphere and so on and in an area that's dry um, so that you have uh, Uh, minimal effects by water vapour absorption, particularly in the infrared and and so on. So here in South Africa, this site is Sutherland? Yeah, it's Sutherland, which is in what's called the Karoo, which is a huge expanse of um, basically semi-desert. It's on a plateau, has this attribute of of being at uh, fairly high altitude, which is an advantage. You mentioned it enables you to see further out, um, so at greater distances, 
So how far is that? Well, it's basically, by definition, the edge of the visible universe at optical wavelengths. We haven't been looking at things quite as distant as that. We've been looking more at uh, galaxies in in what we call the local neighbourhood to the Milky Way and trying to understand by you know, observing these brighter, closer systems, more about the dynamics and how these galaxies work. Um, But we do have also, there's large surveys going on at the moment to detect um, clusters of galaxies and so on. And uh, this is work which SALT is is, uh, involved in as well. What have been some of the maybe the key findings or key things that have been seen since the telescope has been operational? Well, it's been in full science operations since September 2011 and some of the key areas have sort of reflected the strengths of of the telescope's capabilities, both in terms of its instruments and the way it can be operated. Um, Exoplanets is the real hot topic or a real hot topic in astronomy, finding planets around other stars. And, um, you know, right now we're standing at something like 900 exoplanets. So... We were uh, involved here in South Africa uh, with a number of programs to search for exoplanets. Uh, But more recently, we've been following this up by observing particular systems that go through what's called transits, when a planet appears to go across the surface or the face of the parent star and blocks out a small fraction of the light. And so we've observed um, uh, systems like that uh, and also made a discovery um, about two years ago, which was uh, finding two um, fairly large gas, probably gas um, planets, um, Jupiter mass or larger, uh, orbiting a quite bizarre close binary star. That is work which um, SALT is involved in and, and will be increasingly discovering new exoplanets. SALT Science Director David Buckley. Now, the telescope has been operational for just over two years, and observing the range of discoveries David mentioned requires a wide range of materials, machinery, technology and skilled staff. SALT astronomer Paul Kotzer takes us on a tour of the telescope. Yeah, so this is the first floor of the telescope, and this is what a 10-metre glass telescope looks like. We've got 91 mirror segments, which are about one metre in diameter, each one of them. Can you just, I mean, I guess, can you break down this building to us? So we're inside a large dome at the moment, but there is, there's kind of metal everywhere and lots of things going on. What are we looking at here? Okay, so basically, if we start from the outside, that's the wall of the dome itself. It's got little louvers inside that we open up to get airflow in during the night, and that helps for turbulence inside the dome. These big ducts that run up to, on the sides, those are air conditioning ducts. So during the day, we condition the dome to be the same temperature as it would be when we open up at night. That ensures that we don't have thermal effects, thermal stresses in the metal itself, causing the mirror to change its shape. All the tubes that you see here is basically this is the support structure for the telescope. So the telescope sits on four legs. If you come around here, this is one of the legs. So basically, all the tubing supports the big black thing at the top there. That's called the tracker. And that is what moves around during the night while we're observing. So what we do? So that's like large and black, and it's on almost a track that moves up and down. It's a track. So basically, these yellow things at the bottom, those are air bearings. So we fill these bearings with air. The whole telescope lifts up, 
like a hovercraft, and then we rotate it on this big piece of concrete, and then we go and put it down. And then the tracker moves to the right position to be able to track the object in the sky. So basically we put the structure down, and then that thing at the top basically tracks the, the target. Okay, so what we're going to do now is move the telescope to tracker access, which is over here. So if you want to stand over here, you're going to see the structure move. So you can see it's, it's lifting up at the moment. We can stand a bit closer if you want. Ah. You can see the leg lifting up. And this runs on two bar, which is the same pressure you put in your car tire. This whole structure lifts up on two bar of air pressure. That's incredible. And then it just runs along. Yeah. So it's just lifted up now and is hovering around in rotation. Now, the, the, the telescope design is such that it's at a fixed angle, so we can't move the telescope up and down. It can only rotate in what we call azimuth. For that reason, you can only see a target for a certain amount of time. So basically, you sit, you sit the telescope down, and usually it's for an hour or two hours you can see a target at, at a time. So that's one of the drawbacks of having a telescope like this. So you can only view targets for a certain amount of time, but the design makes the telescope much cheaper. Just the fact that you don't have to move this whole telescope in altitude. Okay, so these grey boxes on the sides of the structure um, are called igloos. They house a bunch of electronics, but because electronics give off heat, they have to be cooled. Otherwise, if you have heat moving around in the dome, um, you have turbulence, warm air moving around in cold air, and that causes refraction of light, which we call dome seeing. So basically, all the electronics are cooled down here um, with all these massive pipes running around that you see here. Going all the way around, yeah, the yeah, entire so that, dome. That basically pumps glycol, which is a coolant that we use. There's a very big store of glycol in the maintenance building on the side. It gets cooled there, gets pumped underground into the building, and that's what you use for most of the cooling in the building, is uh, glycol. And also interesting, this piece of concrete that you see here is the flattest piece of concrete in the southern hemisphere. So from here to the other side, it doesn't vary by one millimeter. Okay, so the circular base that this is all on? This is the base that the whole telescope runs on, yes. So it's very flat. It's got an epoxy layer on the top. Oh yeah, very smooth. So, um, you, but the actual kind of mirrors all coming together here. I mean, yes. so what I can see, there's lots of hexagons that yes. are pieced together. And what is this width in total? If you take the, the maximum hexagon diameter, it's about 11 metres. Minimum is around 10 metres. As the dome opened up its shutter to expose the stunningly clear night... Paul took me up to the upper level of the telescope to see the mirrors aligning, ready to target and observe for the night. OK. OK, so this is what happens at the beginning of the night. We're going to open the louvers, we're going to open the dome, we're going to open basically everything inside here. Do you have incandescence in the see some light pouring in through the walls, and that's the louvers opening, and that allows us to have a a good airflow through the building at night, which um, decreases any turbulence inside the, the structure. Yeah, but they're, they're quite even, actually. There's, what, four of them down um, the lengths of the wall and quite a, a lot, columns of four of them going all the way around. Yes, that, that ensures that it doesn't matter what wind direction we have, that we have good airflow through the building. So now the shutter's opening, and that's what we call the CCAS tower, which stands for the Centre of Curvature Alignment System, I think. It's, a, it's a, a tall tower, the height of the dome, really, um, but it's, quite, it's a long column with really a, like a mushroom-like roof. Yes, so up in that mushroom is where we keep the instrumentation. And the... 
Um, there are computers and everything inside there that make sure that the mirror alignment happens. So I think we should see a light source coming on up in the tower, which is the light source that we shine onto the primary mirror. And that's what we use to align the mirror segments with. So we do this at the start of every night. We do a mirror alignment and maybe once or twice again through the evening. We just make sure that the mirror keeps its shape. We actually get a degradation of the image quality, which then makes it difficult to get the right amount of photons down on the spectrograph that we need for people to do their science with. So the shape of the mirror is quite critical for us to do our science with, so that's why we have to do it a couple of times a night. The telescope's role is to enable astronomers across the globe to look for their targets of desire in the southern night sky. As a result, astronomers bid for time on the telescope and get an astronomer on site to observe on their behalf and then send them the data. The processing of these observations and data all takes place down in the control room. Uh, so this is the assault control room. This is where all the action happens during the evening. If we start from the left, where the assault operator works, and those two screens, that's called um, SOMI, which basically stands for Salt Operator Man Machine Interface. So the software she has there basically controls the whole telescope. We've got, I think, four primary subsystems, which is the payload, which is basically the tracker that you just saw up there, everything that's inside the payload, and then we've got the tracker MMI, which basically tells you all the tracker information. The STC MMI is for the structure and dome control, which basically controls the building, and then max MMI, which is the mirror alignment control. You've got, I mean, you've got a lot of screens going on in here. Yes, so, so these one, two, so. three, four, five, six screens, including my laptop, that's all for me. And that's for the operator as those two screens. So that's called scan, but it's Cam. This is where the images gets displayed for the acquisition camera. So basically all the light that comes off the primary mirror now gets tapped into um, the light path of Cam. So basically the light comes from the bottom. This is the primary mirror, the light comes in. Then we have a mirror that sits at a 45 degree angle. Light gets reflected onto Salticam. So this is then the image that you just saw. What we then do is we take this mirror out and then the light goes up to the spectrograph. Now the spectrograph has what we call a little slit in it. So it's a um, piece of metal, a reflective metal with a slit in the middle. And then the light go goes down the slit of the object that we're interested in. But then next to it, we've got a reflective surface that then reflects light back into Salticam using what we call an offner relay, which is just a piece of optics in the payload. Okay. The reason we do that is that then we can make sure that the light that goes down the slit is the objects that we're interested in, yeah. is, the, is the light. So we're actually making sure that the telescope is aligned correctly for the object. And looking at what you want to look yes. at. Yes. And have you been able to see anything on this so far? Well, my job basically ends here. I make sure that the data quality, the data quality is, is good and as requested by the, the person that's doing the research. So these images will then get shipped to them electronically. Um, we have a data reduction pipeline that runs down in Cape Town. So every morning all this data gets copied down to Cape Town. We have a server there that then reduces these images, puts them all together nicely, and then the images are made available to the researcher that requested the data to download. And then it's up to the researcher to then yeah. do all the analysis on the images. Thought astronomer Paul Kotzer. Now, as well as supernovae, the telescope also investigates exoplanets, planets outside of our solar system. The arrival of a high-resolution spectrograph in September aimed to make this easier. Keith Brown, engineer at SALT, showed me the site for the spectrograph. This is the spectrograph. We're getting the high-resolution spectrograph inside here. 
it can resolve the speed of stars down to meters per second. So basically we're trying to find the speed that planets are moving um, to a resolution of, say, walking pace. Um, that's the plan with that instrument. It's very sensitive. So it's going to be kept inside a vacuum chamber and the temperature is going to be controlled to one-tenth of the Kelvin degree. And, um, and then the vacuum chamber is going to be insulated and then inside this whole chamber you see here, um, that's also insulated and that's going to be controlled to within half a degree at 20 degrees Celsius. Uh, that's all to keep the, the optics bench as mechanically stable as possible. Mm-hmm. There's a very high specification on this floor um, that there isn't any vibration in this room. Um, that's why it was built in here. It's in the, in the middle of the telescope, underneath the telescope structure. It's a very stable room. Salt engineer Keith Brown. You're listening to a special edition of Naked Astronomy with me, Mira Senthilingam, taking you out to the site of the Southern African Large Telescope in South Africa. Still to come, how the presence of a telescope can improve the social development of a town it's located in. But first, the site where SALT is located is the field station of the South African Astronomical Observatory. This field station is 38 years old and thus has a range of other telescopes as well as SALT in operation as well. Astronomer Pierre van Heerden explains the history. The site was established in 1976 when the various observatories in South Africa were amalgamated. At that time they took the telescopes from the Cape Observatory and the Johannesburg Observatory and the Radcliffe Observatory and brought them all here. There are uh, roughly 20 telescopes here. Um, there are, of those, there are the four uh, manually operated South African telescopes, the 0.5, 1 metre and 1.9 metre. There's the Southern African, National, uh, South Af- Southern African Large Telescope, um, as well as the Alan Cousins Telescope, which are all uh, completely South African, except for SALT, which is a multinational collaboration. Uh, then we have um, just about a dozen, maybe a bit more, uh, other telescopes from foreign investors. The small telescopes in Sutherland, uh, the South African ones, uh, they are more general purpose. Uh, but of course that means that they need to be manually operated, uh, whereas the foreign telescopes that were purpose-built uh, are much more easily automated. Where are we right now? So this is your telescope. Tell me about this telescope. Uh, well, this is only my telescope for this week. I'll be on, observing on someone else's behalf. Uh, this is the uh, 1.9-metre telescope uh, that was brought from the Radcliffe Observatory in Pretoria. Uh, and uh, it was the largest telescope at the Sutherland site until they built SALT. Um, one of the most common instruments that is used with this telescope is the same instrument I'm using tonight, and that is a Cassegrain uh, low to mid resolution spectrograph, uh, which we can use to uh, find spectra of stars, which uh, gives us all sorts of interesting information, such as um, the chemical composition and uh, temperature and so forth. T- uh, the program basically entails observing the uh, several. 
binary stars. Um, and as they rotate, we would like to get one spectrum at each point in the phase or cycle of the rotation, uh, which then, of course, it can get some really interesting uh, information about the, the, the binary system. So what kind of information would you want? The data you would typically get from this sort of observation is the radial velocities of the, the stars. So, in other words, how far is the one star moving away from us and how fast is the other star moving towards us? Um, and uh, with very accurate measurements of the, the radial velocity, uh, you can determine the mass of the uh, two components very accurately. Uh, this also translates to very accurate measurements of the sizes of the stars. Pierre van Heerden. As Pierre mentioned, some telescopes on site can lend themselves to being automated. Rudy Kuhn is a PhD student using one so, of them. So this is just the, the CAL telescope. And it's an acronym for the Kilo Degree Extremely Little Telescope. This is um, probably the smallest professional telescope in the world. When we talk about size of telescopes, we talk about the size of the mirror or the size of the lens. And this thing has got a 4.2 centimetre lens. So it's really, really tiny. Um, compared to the other telescopes, I mean, SALT's got a 10-metre mirror, whereas this thing is 4.2 centimetres. But again, SALT can see 50 stars at a time. We look at about 200,000 stars at a time. Okay, so can you give me an introduction to what this telescope is? Its purpose is just to search for exoplanets around bright stars. So it just monitors a whole bunch of fields across the sky at night time, and it just takes a picture every five minutes or so of that field. It flips between all the stars, uh, all the fields, and uh, it just monitors the brightness of every single one that it can t gets in its frame. So, I mean, we're here today. It's a very clear sky. Um, what will you be doing this evening? So this telescope is fully robotic and automatic. So it's been programmed to look at a set parts of the sky and it will decide when to observe those, when is the best time to observe those. So if the moon's up, for instance, and the moon gets in the way of one of the fields, the telescope is programmed to ignore that part of the sky. But other than that, I don't do anything myself with this telescope. It just, it's programmed to be sort of artificially intelligent and, and do its own thing. We collect data over a seasonal period, so whenever a part of the sky is visible to us, so that takes about four months or so, and then we analyse the data. When you get all this data together and you send it over and you start processing it, what are you actually looking for? So we're looking for exoplanets, so planets around other stars. And we're looking specifically for transiting exoplanets, so planets that move in front of the star as it orbits. So every time it orbits, the light from the star gets dimmer by a very slight amount, and that's what we're trying to find with this telescope. So we measure the brightness of stars extremely accurately over that four-month period, and then if we see a change in the brightness every three days or something like that, then we know that something is passing in front of that star. And uh, we usually look for, if it's a planet, it, the, the change in brightness is less than 1%. Um, and then if it's not 1%, what could it be? So if it's not 1%, it's probably another star moving in front of a bigger star. Um, or there are a whole bunch of other things that look like exoplanets that, are, that turn out to be something else. And so in the three years that you've been observing from this particular telescope, what have you managed to see? We need a long baseline to, to do the science that we want to do. So we're only now starting to analyse the data and do the follow-ups for our particular telescope. Um, so we have a couple of targets now that we're following up with other telescopes in the Southern Hemisphere, some in Tahiti, some in Australia, some in Chile, to help us out with the thing. Because our telescope is so small, what we see is 
a lot of times not an exoplanet. So we need slightly bigger telescopes to help us out. Rudy Kuhn. Now that's almost it for this month's South African special. But before we go, we explore how the presence of a telescope in a small rural town can lead to numerous benefits to society as well as science through a collateral benefits programme. My name is uh, Sivuile Mangoi. I'm the manager for the Sol Collateral Benefits Programme. The plan was to invest money in education, training teachers, and generally encouraging uh, entrepreneurship. So what about the actual direct benefits to the local community in terms of their own development? This is a community that consists of about 5,000 people because the community has grown. In the past it was about 3,000, 3,500. Now we've got about 5,000 people. And in this area there is a lot of poverty. There's teenage pregnancy, there's lots of drug abuse, there's a lot of challenges. And with the building of, of the telescope there, there was so much transformation. We saw teachers who are interested in teaching medicine science going to Sutherland. We as the observatory have trained people in Sutherland as tour guides. They've even studied astronomy from our partners, and they are running stargazing sessions for the visitors in Sutherland. But part, part of the people that we trained in Sutherland are also doing their own tours of the area. So the building of, of salt helped in establishing the tourism industry in Sutherland because if you look at the history, before salt was built, there were two bed and breakfasts. But after salt was built, we have 40, 40 bed and breakfast businesses People of Sutherland were kind of isolated from, from the world, not only from South Africa, like from, but with the building of the telescope, their minds are not only confined to what they are exposed to, but they are seeing the world as big. Siviule Mangoi, manager of the Salt Collateral Benefits Programme. Now, that's all we've got for this month, but next month and next year, Dominic returns with more of the usual news and questions from the field of astronomy. You can also listen to episodes from earlier this year at nakedscientist.com forward slash astronomy. In the meantime, if you have a question you want to ask, you can get in touch by sending an email to astronomy at thenakedscientists.com. This month, Naked Astronomy was produced by me, Mira Senthilingam, and comes to you from Cambridge University, with support from the Science and Technology Facilities Council. Until next time, have a great Christmas and a happy new year.